Good morning. It's been a good morning together. Enjoyed worshiping with you. If you have your Bible, open to uh, to Acts chapter 12. It has been four Sundays since we've been in the book of Acts. Uh, End of April was the last time we were here, and then I was out of town for a week, and then I was been battling this sickness. And those of you were that were here last week, you sort of heard me share some of that story. Uh, but today we're getting back into the book of Acts, and this is a very pivotal point here in Acts chapter 12, because up until this point, Peter has figured very prominently in the book, but today. After today, he's going to sort of step aside. We'll hear about him, and we'll see him again. He's going to put in at least one more appearance. But Paul is fixing to come bursting onto the stage in in a very powerful and very dramatic way. But today is is, is really important, and uh, I feel really strongly about this message because I think it contains... Uh, some very important stuff for us this morning. I, I think you will. Uh, I think you will agree with that. And I know our air is not working at its full potential this morning, so I'm going to try to keep it moving. Uh, Bethany this morning asked me, "How long's your sermon going to be?" I don't know if that was a hint. I don't know if it's because it's her birthday and that's a gift to her to not preach as long. I don't know, but I told her, even when I try to make them short, I don't know. I don't know what happens. Um, but I'm going to try to keep it moving. Maybe we should have the guys that went to Millie's pray the air conditioning back to life. So if you guys want to do that while I'm preaching, that'll be, uh, that'll be, that'll be good. But we're in Acts chapter 12, and we're talking about faithful deliverance. Those of you that were here five years ago, you will remember that my youngest brother, Matt, came to live with Bethany and I for a time, for about six months. And, you know, when he came to us, he was, uh, he was broken. You know, his life was a mess. He had gone through a, a very ugly, very nasty divorce. Uh, he had nowhere to live. He ended up losing his job, and he was just kind of bouncing from place to place with whoever would, uh, could take him in for a while. And, you know, he was living way down, uh, way down South Florida, uh, Fort Myers area. And we tried to get him to come live with us, and, uh, he, you know, he didn't want to leave his girls. He wanted to be close to them, so, he, you know, he felt like he couldn't do that. Eventually, things just kind of hit rock bottom. He had nothing else to do. We were his, you know, only place he could turn to. So he came and he, he, he moved in with us. And if, if you were here, you remember what he looked like. He was skinny. Uh, his, uh, you know, he just kind of looked emaciated a, a little bit. And you could tell that life had, had, uh, had, had really done a number on him. And, uh, you know, that was just kind of the way he, he operated for a little bit. But then he went with us to, to impact. I know I'm recounting a lot of stuff that you, you know but it's for an important reason. He went to Impact that summer, and we saw Jesus change his life radically, if you remember that. And we came back, and he, I mean, he was radically changed. I mean, his 
face would light up, and he got involved here at the church. He helped us form the, the first worship team. He started mowing as much grass as he could. He mowed Tommy out of a job that summer. You know, he just kind of took over, like, the, the buildings and grounds. He got, you know, he was doing well. He got back up on his feet. He started eating good and just really, you know, he turned his, his life around. And, you know, as I look back on his, um, as I look back on that time that he was with us, you know, uh, living with us, I, I think, you know, that was the, the, the strongest faith that I ever remembered him exhibiting. Now, you know, as a kid, he had some faith. But it wasn't ever a faith that he had to demonstrate on his own, kind of out from under the, the, the auspices of our house, you know. So it was his own faith, and it was growing and active, and man, it was just, it was really exciting to see what Jesus was doing in his life. And then after six months, you know, he, he felt like he was strong enough to move back home. He had missed his girls. He wanted to be back with them. You know, he moved, uh, he moved back down, uh, moved back down to, uh, to South Florida, but in the process, of course, he, he moves away from his support system. And in a, in a moment of, of stress, you know, he, he overdosed on heroin, passed away. That was coming up on six years ago, if you can believe that. It's hard for me to believe it's been that long. Uh, November will be six years. Um... I remember after all the memorials and all that stuff, Bethany and I were trying to just settle his accounts because all his, you know, all his bills were coming to our house because he was living with us. And, of course, they continued to come with us. And I knew he was under a lot of stress, but I didn't realize how much it was until we started going through all his financial records. You know, he was out of work, but, you know, if you've been out of work, you know bills don't go out of work when you go out of work. You know, they, they keep coming. And so they continued to come. And so he had all these bills, and he had child support that he wasn't able to pay, and it was just stacked up. It was a mountain of, 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 of debt, and, and uh, he was under a tremendous amount of stress, and he needed, he needed relief from that. He needed deliverance from that. You know, a lot of people feel that way. A lot of people feel a need for deliverance. Maybe not in, in, in that way, but in other ways. And it might be that you're here this morning, and that's what you need. That you need some sense of relief, that you need some sort of, uh, of deliverance. Maybe you find yourself in a, in a frustrating job situation, where you're dealing with, with co-workers that are just difficult and, and you have trouble getting along with them and you're trying your best to be Christ-like and it just keeps working against you and you just, you're not sure what to do or maybe you have a, a family member who is struggling in, in some way. Maybe it's some sort of addiction that you're dealing with. Or like so many people, so many Americans, you feel like you are being smothered to death by a a mountain, a mountain of, of debt. Or maybe it's an, an illness. Maybe it's something chronic. Maybe it's something like what I've been dealing with for the last month. I don't really know what it is. I don't really have any answers for it. I just know I'm not feeling good. Maybe it's, maybe it's depression. 
you know, you sort of feel the darkness closing in on you. And as you've heard me share about that, and I've heard you share about that, you understand what it's like to, to have that, that feeling where, you know, just like the end of Psalm 88 when it says, darkness was my only friend. You know, I've known a lot of days like that. I imagine a lot of us have. But maybe it's anger that you're battling. You ever had a season of anger? Didn't know what it was from? And all of a sudden you just, I mean, you just knew you were angry all the time. You know, maybe it's your frustration with, with past choices in your life. It's not any of those things, and maybe it's something else. But there's one thing that I think we all need, and it is deliverance. We need God's deliverance. We need the deliverance that is found only in, in, in Jesus. Come to a, a really a, kind of a hard story today in, uh, in Acts chapter 12. And uh, you, you'll see it's got some really exciting stuff in it. And it's got some stuff that is just sort of baffling. Causes us to scratch our head. And we're going to wrestle. We're going to wrestle with that. Uh, begin reading with me in, uh, in Acts chapter 12, start in, uh, start in verse 1. About that time, King Herod cruelly attacked some who belonged to the church, and he killed James, John's brother, with the sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter too, during the days of unleavened bread. And after the arrest, he put him in prison and assigned four squads of four soldiers to guard him. That seems like a little bit overkill, doesn't it? But if you'll remember back a few chapters, Peter's already had one miraculous escape from prison. Herod's making sure this is not going to happen again. He intended to bring him out to the people after the Passover. So Peter was in prison. But prayer was being made earnestly to God for him by the church. Persecution has been in the life of the church as we've seen, remember? The movement of this church begins and it's growing and growing and growing and so many people are, are, are turning to Jesus. People are leaving their old way of life behind. People are finding connection and community, maybe for the first time in their lives. And the establishment, the religious establishment, wants nothing to do with it. And so they turn to the political establishment and they begin to kind of stomp this out a little bit. Persecution strikes and the church begins to scatter. The apostles remain in Jerusalem. Others are kind of scattered to the wind. Paul gets involved, as of course he's Saul at that point, and then he has his, his very dramatic conversion. But up until this point, the apostles had remained pretty much untouched. And then for some reason, we don't really know why, for some reason, Herod strikes out against the apostles. And he puts James, uh, John's brother, he has James put to death. Just runs him through with the sword. And the Jews, who are not part of the church, are grateful for this. Because they see the church as a nuisance. And Herod sees that, hey, they like this. 
This ups my capital with the people. I'll do this again. And so they grab Peter, who is arguably sort of the leader of the church at this point. He grabs Peter and is intending to do the same. He's not going to do it during Passover because he remembers the last time they had somebody killed during Passover. It didn't go well. So he's going to wait till Passover is finished. And he's going to kill, he's going to kill Peter. And Peter's in jail. He's got all these people around him. He's kind of got one guard here and one guard here. And he's asleep when an angel visits him. This is what's going on in, in, in 6 through around 13. An angel visits him in the night, tells him to, to wake up, puts his cloak on, and the angel's kind of leading him out of the prison. They pass one guard post, they pass another guard post. The cells open, the chains fall off, and Peter has this moment. Now I understand that God is with me, as if it wasn't something miraculous going on before this. But he comes out of this deep sleep and he says, now, now I know for certain the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from, from, from Herod's grasp, from all that the Jewish people expected to do to me. And so he's released. And so he goes to John Mark's mother's house, and her name is Mary, because this is where the church is gathered. The church has been doing what? The text told us right there in the first five verses. What have they been doing? They've been gathering to, to pray. They've been praying that God would deliver Peter. That he would be released, that he would be taken care of, that he'd be found not guilty or, 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 or whatever it is that they think is going on. He's praying for him to be released. And what happens? Their prayer is answered. And so he goes to the house and the servant girl named Rhoda answers the door. She's excited, slams the door in his face. She runs in to where the church is praying and says, Peter is here. Now then watch verse 15. You're crazy, they told her. But she kept insisting that it was true. Then they said... It's his angel. What are they doing before? Praying. Praying for what? Praying for his, praying for his deliverance. It makes me think that they're not praying expectantly. You know, and I think there is a lesson here for us, and it's very simply this, that we must pray, go ahead and go to the next one, pray expectantly. Think about that for a minute. How many times have I prayed and not expected anything to happen? Probably more times than I've prayed expecting something to happen, if I'm going to be totally honest. How about you? But if we are going to follow the crucified Messiah, if we're going to call ourselves Christians, if we are going to be people of the way, if we're going to be agents of the kingdom of God, we must pray with expectancy. We must pray and trust that God is going to work. Now that He may not answer in the way that we think He should, but God will answer in some way. 
And so we need to pray believing. Believing that, that, that God, will, God will work. Well, you saw from the last time I said they're astounded by this. Like, oh God, please save Peter. What, Peter's here? How can that be? You were just in jail. How'd you get here? But I like that that's in there because that says that, okay, yeah, sometimes God's people pray and maybe don't have enough faith when they pray. That doesn't happen today, though, right? No, we all struggle in prayer. They pray, he's released, he goes in, he explains what happens. He tells them to uh, go and report everything to James. Now then, James is not James that's been killed, the brother of John. This is James, the half-brother of Jesus, who is eventually going to become the, the leader of the church here in Jerusalem. And then it says that, that Peter goes off and he flees, he flees to another place. Now, this is, this is an incredible story of deliverance, is it not? Even though there's some unbelief in there, this is a pretty incredible story of, of unbelief. But as I read this story, you know, there is, like I said, this is, a, this is not an easy story. There's a, a very tough piece to this story. As I read this story, it begs the question, why did God save Peter and not James? That's an interesting question, isn't it? Why did God save Peter and not James? Do you think he loved Peter more than James? No. I mean, James is even one of the inner three of Jesus' you know, closest companions. Peter, James, John. You know, he was there at the, the, the transfiguration of Jesus. So why is it that God, that should be saved, Peter, or why did God save Peter and not I want, us to, I want us to wrestle with that for just, uh, just a few minutes. Now then, if you've listened to me preach for any time at all, you know, I've, I've, made, it, I've made it very clear that, you know, I'm not, I'm not a Calvinist. Okay? I'm not a Calvinist. I absolutely, 100%, do not believe that God causes evil and uses it for His purposes. I don't believe that at all. I do believe that God works out of evil. I do believe that God works through the evil that is inflicted upon humanity. I believe that, that God turns tragedy into victory, but I don't believe that He causes evil for His greater good and His greater glory. Because God is a, a, a God of, of life a God of, of hope. God, to answer this question, God did not do this. God did not kill 
James so that the church can spread further. This is an act of evil. Herod did this. We don't know why. I mean, we can speculate, but we don't know the exact reasons why he did this. We just know that he did it, and he intended to do it again. Bottom line, this is the, this is the work of, of Satan. This is the work of evil, but it still really doesn't answer our question. Earl Lavender, who is a professor, he's one of my professors at Lipscomb, um, done a lot of work on the mission field in Italy. In fact, I believe he's there doing mission work right now. Uh, he's written a commentary on Acts and writing about this specific question. This is what he says right here. He says, If our witness is finished, then God allows us to come home through physical death. Now think about that for a minute. If our witness is finished, God allows us to come home through physical death. I think, I think this is pretty close to what Paul would say later in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy is sort of the very intimate, very personal correspondence that, that Paul sends to, to Timothy, his son in the faith. And there in, uh, there in chapter 4, he says this to Timothy. He says, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. In other words, I've done what I'm supposed to do. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. He's saying, this is it. Life is coming to an end. I know it. You know, he's writing from prison. He said, but I've fought the good fight. You know, I'm, I've been poured out. I've done everything. I've fought the fight. I've finished the race. And in everything that I have endured, and in just a few weeks, man, we're going to look at some of the horrible stuff that he endured. When we get to chapter 16, it's going to blow your mind. But he says, I have remained faithful through all of that. Now then watch this. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. On the day of the new heavens and the new earth, Jesus is going to give him a crown of righteousness. This is Paul's belief. This is his, his faith. No matter what is going on, no matter what has happened to him, he is grounded in this, that because of Jesus, because of the resurrection, because of my faithfulness and God's faithfulness, there is a crown of righteousness that Jesus is going to give to me when he comes back. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on and he says, and this prize is not just for me, read this with me, but for all who are eagerly look forward to his appearing. Isn't that good news? That the crown of righteousness is not just for Paul. The crown of righteousness is for everybody who believes and lives for and looks forward to the return of Jesus. There is a crown of righteousness 
for all people. All part of God's faithful deliverance. Now then, Earl Lavender continues his thought. He says, when appropriate, God will deliver. At times, God delivers his faithful servants through death itself. Now, if you'll allow me to be a little bit subjective here for a few minutes. It'll be really me more thinking out loud. But as I, as I weigh these texts, and as I think about what Earl Lavender is saying, and as I think about, as I think about our witness and what our witness should be and look like and all this, so many more questions come to mind. In 2002, both of my younger brothers overdosed on heroin. One of them died. The other one lived. Why? For years, we've wondered that. And I, I, don't, I don't know that I can give you the answer. Like I said, I'm, I'm just thinking out loud. But for years and years and years, my family has wondered, why did one live and the other die? I mean, they were together. They took the same stuff. What made, what made the difference? And I don't know. You know I, don't, I don't know that I can answer that. I do know that they both loved Jesus. know that they were both committed to Him. I know that they both made terrible mistakes. And in 2002, it cost my middle brother Micah his life. And we wondered why. But keep in mind, you know, it's, it's not about perfection at death, you know. It's not about making sure you've lived a perfect life and that you are sinless at death. Okay, because I don't know that any of us will be. Unless we just have a, happen to have a deathbed confessional. It's not about perfection at death. It's about whose hand you're holding on to when death comes. I do know they were both holding on to Jesus. But as I think about this more, about why, Because you know, Micah died in 2002, and then 10 years later, Matt died in the same way. And as I think about their lives, when they died, they had both just come out of arguably the strongest period of witness in their life. Micah was in, in music ministry. They had just put out this album that just was incredible. 
He was traveling, the, he was touring the country on the road singing about Jesus. Matt, you, you know, you saw what went on. But they both made horrible choices that ended tragically. And I, I think about these texts, and I think about Lavender's thought, and one more question comes to mind, and I don't know if I'm right about it, but at least it comes to my mind. I wonder if their witness was finished. I don't know. But I wonder about it. But regardless, I do know that we must make sure we have a strong witness. If we're followers of Christ, we need to have a, a strong witness for Christ. That leads me to my community connection for the week. And it's simply this. Remain faithful. God will deliver. Remain faithful. God will deliver. You see, when we remain faithful, then faith is the victory no matter what happens. When James was killed, faith is the victory. When Peter was arrested, and released by an angel, faith was the victory. When we face difficult times, and when we face trials, faith is the victory. Even when the answer is not the answer that we want. Right? That's what true faith is about. True faith is about trusting God no matter what the outcome is. Even if it ends tragically. Faithfulness is trusting that it, no matter what happens, we win because Jesus won. Faith is the victory. Patrick Mead says this. And I think it's brilliant. He says, the reason God doesn't act the way we want Him to in prayer is that He's not panicked. That's pretty good, isn't it? God is not panicked. No matter what. Whatever you're facing, if it's something with your job, you might be panicked, God is not panicked. If there's a lizard running through the auditorium <laughs> and you're scared of it, don't panic. It's more panicked than you are. It's darted back and forth like ten times while I've been standing here. If you've got something going on in your family, don't panic because God is not panicked. Yeah. 
if there's some sort of addiction, some crisis, whatever it is in your life. And it's easy for me to say not to panic. I get it. But know that when everything is crashing down around you, God is not panicked by it. Remain faithful. God will bring you. Let's pray. God, 